Psalm 107. We invite you to follow along in the Pew Bible as you're able. Um, There are select readings that Mike is going to emphasize that are printed in the bulletin. But I'm going to read Psalm 107 in its entirety. And so, again, just take a breath and receive now the reading of God's word. And uh, may you receive it as nourishment for your soul this morning. Psalm 107. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. Some wandered in desert wastes, finding no way to to a city to dwell in, hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted within them. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way till they reached a city to dwell in. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. For he satisfies the longing soul, and the hungry soul he fills with good things. Some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and in irons, for they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. So he bowed their hearts down with hard labor. They fell down with none to help. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and burst their bonds apart. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. For he shatters the doors of bronze and cuts in two the bars of iron. Some were fools through their sinful ways, and because of their iniquities suffered affliction. They loathed any kind of food, and they drew near to the gates of death. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He sent out his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. And let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of his deeds and songs of joy. Some went down to the sea in ships, doing business on the great waters. (coughs) They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep. For he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up to the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven. They went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wits end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet, and he brought them to their desired haven. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. Let them extol him in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. He turned rivers into a desert, springs of water into thirsty ground, a fruitful land into a salty waste because of the evil of its inhabitants. He turns a desert into pools of water, a parched land into springs of water, 
And there he lets the hungry dwell. They establish a city to live in. They sow fields and plant vineyards and get a fruitful yield. By his blessing, they multiply greatly, and he does not let their livestock diminish. When they are diminished and brought low through oppression, evil, and sorrow, he pours contempt on princes and makes them wander in trackless wastes. But he raises up the needy out of affliction and makes their families like flocks. The upright see it and are glad, and all wickedness shuts its mouth. Whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. Let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. Amen. This is the reading of God's word. So you hear from Psalm 107 from Mike now. Come before you today, uh, Lord, hearing these words from Psalm 107, Lord, and we lift up before you our prayer that is this word is preached today that you would accomplish all that you intend. Lord, your promise is that your word goes forth and never returns void, but that it accomplishes all that you intended to do. So we ask for God do that today in our hearts and minds. Give us eyes that are opened, ears that hear, and hearts that are ready to receive. We pray in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. When my boys were younger, we used to do these family camping trips. To be short, they were like three weeks long because we were moving between duty stations or we were traveling home. So it was ultra-long camping trips along the way. And on the first night, um, we would do something unique. And in fact, if you asked my boys what was their favorite thing about camping, they would say dinner on the first night. Now that seems a little weird, why? Well, I would take uh, meat the night before. I'd get cubes, uh, not cube steak, I'd get uh, chuck roast and I'd cube it all up and I'd put it in a marinade. And that meat would marinate for the 24 hours to the next day's dinner. And then, interestingly enough, we would build a campfire, skewer the meat, put it over it, and let me tell you what. Mm, mm, mm. It makes my mouth water just thinking about it. It was good. You know, that marinade, it really worked its way all the way through the meat. It was crispy on the outside, nice and juicy and tender on the inside. I'm sorry for you vegans who are listening to this right now, but for me, it rocks. I love it. And that was also, I mean, they talk about it even now. They're like, oh, Dad, could you make this, you know. So it was a big thing for them. It was awesome. Well, it struck me this week as I was just going through Psalm 107 that we're kind of like that meat that's been marinating. We've been marinating actually way back since we started Jonah in the goodness of God. All, this, all of Jonah is really around this idea of, is God good? Is he good when the things that I think are good aren't the same things as what God thinks are good? And we struggle with that when our two ideas of good don't line up. But in the end state, the answer is yes. God is good whether I like what he's doing or whether I think it's good or not. 
It doesn't change the fact that God is good. Well, we've also been been really looking at that through all of the, most of the Psalms that we've looked at over the summer have really had that background aspect, sometimes right in the forefront, sometimes a little in the back. But the idea of, is God good? When all these events around us are going on, when there's all this evil in the world, when we have enemies and foes that are all around us, seeking to do harm to us when life's events just seem to steamroll us. Is God good? Well, I think today we're going to see again this whole psalm, Psalm 107, is just grounded, it's anchored in the bedrock knowledge that God is good. Listen to that first verse again. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. But you might ask, how do we see or know that God is good? It really is a helpful question. It's one that we all need to deal with. In Psalm 107, the writer links God's goodness directly to his steadfast love. The Hebrew word here that is used for that steadfast love or enduring love is found in a lot of places throughout the Old Testament. You might see it used as steadfast kindness, steadfast mercy, steadfast faithfulness. It's really used across the board, this enduring sense of God's love, mercy, kindness, and faithfulness to his people. And it all flows out of God's Goodness. Consider for a moment how enduring the steadfast love of God is. If you were to ask, when did his steadfast love for us begin? Well, I would point you to Ephesians 1, 3 through 6. It's not on the screen, as you could say, see, so you could look it up if you like on your own. But The idea there is that God has chosen us in love to be adopted as his sons when? Before the foundations of the earth. So before any of this existed, God knew you. He chose you. And he did that in love. And he did it before the earth began. And you might ask, well, how long does his steadfast love last? Will it falter? Will it fail? Well, again, let's look at John 3.16. There it, it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So you were adopted, you were chosen in love for eternal life. And that's really supported by our passage today, that verse 1, where it says, How long does God's love, steadfast love endure? Forever. Steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. So what do we learn about the steadfastness of God's love? Well, it springs from eternity past and endures into eternity future. It does not depend on you or I, but on God who chose us 
in love, who sent his son for us, and through his son, Jesus, unites us to himself eternally so that we can be in relationship with him. To be called his beloved forever. This is the steadfast love of God. And it it literally springs from the very nature of who God is. It springs from God's goodness. The fact that he is good and it endures forever. Amen? Let's drop back into our passage to look more carefully really at how God expresses his steadfast love towards us. Verse 2 and verse 3 Give us two means by which God expresses his steadfast love. Let's look at the passage together. If you've got your Bibles open, go ahead and take a look. Verse 2, it says, Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. Makes me want to sing that song. Anyway, sorry. Here we see that God expresses his steadfast love in two ways. First, he redeems his people. And secondly, he gathers them in. So redemption and gathering. Let's look first at how God is redeeming his people. This is how he shows his steadfast love, by redeeming and by gathering in. Verse 2 begins, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Those whom he has redeemed from trouble. What does it mean to be redeemed? In the dictionary, it is to gain or regain possession of something through payment. We think of redeeming a coupon or a company like Coke may have redeemable bottles that you turn in and you get your five cents or 15 cents back. Okay, short sideline, this is not in my sermon, but it's made me laugh all week long. We're going in Maine. We were on vacation the first part of Maine, or first part of this week in Maine. We go by this store. It's called Bojangles. And on a big sign out there, it says alcohol and redemption. I'm like, get out of town. We need to have that out in front of our church. Redemption site, here it is. Of course, we might have a lot of bottles out front, but nonetheless, I love this idea. Like, redemption site, yeah. I I want to name my church Bojangles next time. That's all there is to it. Anyway, what does it mean, though, in the context of the Bible, and in particular, the Old Testament? Well, we see it used, this idea of redemption, redeeming, used throughout the Old Testament to mean rescue. Rescue out of the hand of the foe. Rescue out of the hands of the enemy. Rescue out of trouble. Or maybe to deliver out of trouble. So God was the redeemer God of Israel who delivered them out of slavery in Egypt. He was the delivering God, the redeeming God who rescues David out of the hands of the Philistines, who rescues David out of the hands of Saul, delivering him out of his troubles when he's in the wilderness. Psalm 107 presents this picture of the Lord as a redeemer, a rescuer. 
and a deliverer in all four of the vignettes that we heard. First of those vignettes, when we think of them, we see someone who has wandered away. Second, someone who has rebelled against the word of God, spurning his counsel. Third, those who have played the fool and acted unwisely, acted wickedly. And lastly, those who have ignored God. They were too busy to spend time with God, too busy to hear his words. In truth, we all know people that fit into these categories. You know you do. And in fact, if you think about your own life, you probably have fit into one of those categories or many of those categories at one point or another. You and I were the ones who needed redeeming. But I want to take a moment now and explore those categories, just dive into them a little more deeply. So let's start with the wanderer. Verse 4 and 5 says, Some wandered in the desert wastes, finding no city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their souls fainted within them. Now, how many of you at some point in your life have suffered from wanderlust? Oh my gosh, I have it bad and I've had it since I was a kid. I mean, a long time. You can ask my wife, look, if I just see this place, we're driving along, it would not be unusual for me to just want to stop and get out of the car and see what's on the other side of that hill. Oh, there's a set of woods. I've never walked in that woods. What's in there? Oh, look at those rocks. I wonder what they're, what do they look like up there? What's the view from there? I don't, I love going to other countries. I love studying foreign cultures, but I've got it just in my own backyard into places I haven't been before. Now, now most of the time it turns out fine, but every once in a while I get in an awkward space where I'm not sure exactly where I'm at. Thank God I was a boy scout and they taught me how to use a compass and read the sun and all those kinds of things. But I've gotten some pretty scratchy situations where I was a little nervous about where I just got myself into trying to figure out what was on the other side of a thing. You know, um, I can really identify with the wanderer here. But I think that some of that is captured in this idea of the wanderer. But there's more to it. There's something a little different that's going on. See, in the Old Testament, once you get past Genesis, really, cities are the places of refuge and safety. To be wandering in the wastes is a dangerous thing. There's bandits. There are wild animals. Water can be very scarce. And even places you think are there have dried up. Food can be hard to come by. To wander in the desert waste by the time you get past Genesis is really never seen in a positive light. It's a bad, bad thing. Now, this passage gives us no clear reason why they are wandering. So I can't point it to sin or something like that. We don't know. Was it intentional for them to leave the path? Was it an accident? 
it's not really clear. But the truth is that they have wandered, they are lost, and they're now in a desperate place. It isn't like the next two where, as we look at them, the fool and, and the rebel, they've made some intentional decisions. They're going to take them into the dark places where they are. Let's look then at the, the rebel and the fool. Unlike the first example, these next two, the rebel and the fool, are living in messes of their own making. The rebel in verse 10 and 11 has rejected God's counsel. He has spurned God's word. In, in these two verses, there is a, a change, if you notice, in God's name from Yahweh, Israel's personal God, to El Elyon. That is God most high. God, the high king. The rebel has rebelled against the counsel of the high king. And now he's in this place, this dark place, as a result of that rebellion, where he is physically bound with irons. It's a place of deep darkness, deep shadow, death's shadow. Similarly, the fool is also in the shadow of death's door, right at the very gate of death itself. But how did he get there? The fool has sinned, yes. But the implication here, when you read through the Old Testament, someone who is a fool, it's probably 90% of the time, I didn't give count every single one and do a statistic, but I would say I only know like two occasions where it's not, where the fool is associated with sexual sin. Right? And that sexual sin is then followed by, where the fool is followed by this idea of um, uh, not only presumptuous sin and the idea of knowing what they were doing, but, but it's also this idea of iniquity. Right? So, what is iniquity? Well, that's degenerate sin. Sin that goes from one bad place to another bad place to another bad place. It just keeps getting worse. So the fool is someone who is presumptuous in their sin. They knew what God's rules were and they chose to do differently. And that sin is just taking them deeper and deeper and deeper into the pit in which they've gotten themselves into. It is shameless. It's degenerate. Now, here's the issue. That result of their lifestyle and that lifestyle choice that they have made has become, made them grievously ill and afflicted to the point of death. Look, we all know people that fall into that. I've had family members that died from cirrhosis of the liver, just one bad choice after another, right? It was a lifestyle choice that they made that took them into a pit and killed them. Well, let's do one more example. In the, in the final example, we find that busy person. I kind of think of them like an entrepreneur who is just focused on making the business work, really doing everything they can to make the business succeed so that everything else takes second, third place. 
These are portrayed in verse 23 as those who went down to the sea in ships, doing business on the great waters. Now, maybe they're, they're busy with their work or their business or their travels, but for whatever reason, they're not taking time for God. They're not listening to God. They're not seeing God. Verse 24 suggests that on the great waters, they saw all the things that God had directed for them to praise. Look, here's what I'm saying. They're out on the water. They see the sunrise. Can you imagine the gorgeous sunrises that you see when you're out on a boat? They see it. They recognize the beauty. But they don't give glory to God for it. It doesn't turn their heart to God. That's the kind of person that we're seeing in this particular passage. God's making himself known to that person in the world around them, but they're not seeing God's wonders as belonging to God. Now, these four people, just so you're tracking with it, they're all part of God's people. In other words, they're all part of the people of Israel. That's who this is directed to. They're all people who should know. All four sets of these people should know who God is and should be directing their lives towards him. It's not because they've never heard of God. We're not talking about Gentiles, foreign nations. This is all Israel. Okay? So, now maybe you are, are listening to these stories, and much like I have, you can find yourself in it. You can find a little bit of yourself in one of these vignettes. Maybe you can think of a family member or friends who you've seen their lives in these categories as well. It can feel a little depressing and overwhelming. I, like, I know so many people that fit into these categories. But I want to share some good news with you. Good news that is true for each of us. True for those around us. When we cry to the Lord... In our troubles, he hears. That is a line that runs through every one of these vignettes, every one of these stories. When they cry to the Lord, when they recognize they're in the stuff and it's bad and I'm about to die, and they cry out to the Lord, he hears. He responds. However they got there, whatever circumstances caused their troubles, they can cry out to the Lord. All of them in these, in these four vignettes turned now to the only one who could intervene in their circumstances and really bring about true change. The only one who could rescue them and deliver them from certain death. And what happens when the wanderer, the rebel, the fool, that busy entrepreneur call upon the Lord? The Lord, the Lord, the God of Israel, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the God most high, the Redeemer God responds to them and delivers them out of all of their troubles. He redeems them. This is the first part of the goodness of God expressed through his steadfast love. 
he redeems his people. No matter your past, no matter what you've done, no matter whether you are in the remotest wilderness, the deepest dungeon, in a hospital bed, or or, or in the, the deepest trough of the waves of the sea, when you cry to the Lord, he hears you. And he is fully capable, able, and willing to deliver you. Amen? Do you believe that? I can give testimony to the truth of that time and time again. I've been in a lot of places around the world. I've seen a lot of crazy things. And I can tell you more than one time, (laughs) I have cried out, God, you got... Save me. Because I didn't know whether we were going to come out of a situation. But God heard and he delivered. God hears you and he delivers. Do you have those testimonies? Do you remember those times and those places where you cried out for the Lord for him to deliver? To redeem? To rescue? Brothers and sisters, this is the first part of God's steadfast love on display for us. Redeeming, rescuing, delivering his chosen people. Yet God doesn't stop there. Does he? It would be great if he did that and that was all that he did to redeem us, to deliver us, to rescue us. But he doesn't stop there. He also gathers us in. Let me, let me go to, to verse 7. In verse 7, we see that God didn't just deliver them from distress, but he also delivers them to a place. Not just from, but to a place. God, God will, God, God desires, God fulfills the, de, the wanderer's desires. He meets the wanderer's needs, yes, but he also fulfills his desires of his soul, leading them to a city where they may dwell and flourish. What does he do for the rebel? God sets him free so that he can be part of the city. What is he, and and part of the kingdom again? What does he do for the fool? The fool is restored and brought back into the congregation. The ones who had no time for God were brought back by God into a safe haven and united with a congregation. Do you see this? Those who were lost are found. Those who were imprisoned are set free. Those who were fools are made wise. And those who are ignorant of their plight are brought into safety. That is what the steadfast love of God does. It redeems and it gathers in. He brings in the lost one into a city that is filled with people, a place of safety, a place of protection, a place where there is plenty, a place where they can flourish. He adds, those, uh, he adds back those who are facing certain death and brings them into the presence of the living. 
He takes those who were fools or ignorant and he redeems them and adds them back into the congregation. He not only unites us in a relationship with him, but he also gives us these relationships with others around us, with the other people of God. This is the goodness of God shown in his steadfast love, relentlessly displayed in his work to redeem and gather in those whom he loves. Friends, this is our story as well. It's your story. It's my story. You were chosen in love to be adopted as sons. You were chosen by God from before the foundations of the earth. God loved you so much that he sent his only son to die for you, for me. Why? Blows my mind. Why would God do that? I know me. I suck. I'm terrible. I'm an awful human being. I know. I know what goes on in here and here. But God loved me. And he sent his son to die for my sins. So that he could call me his beloved. Because he wanted incomprehensibly to my tiny mind to spend eternity with me in a loving relationship. God calls you and I his beloved and he unites us to himself through Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ. Friends, God did not leave you lost. He did not leave you imprisoned. He did not leave you lifeless. And he did not leave you too busy to figure out who he was. At just the right time, he sent his Holy Spirit to soften your heart, to open your eyes, to give you ears to hear. So that you would cry out to him and he would deliver you. And by his grace, he did redeem you and he gathered you into his people. And you are here today in this church because God redeemed you and gathered you in and put you among his people. Amen. Take a moment to look around you. Look at the folks that are in this church. Even in our small church, how many ethnicities are represented here? How many nationalities? How many people groups are here among us? And why is that? Because there is no place on the earth that is beyond God's reach. North, south, east, West, God reaches into all the places of the earth to redeem people for himself. Every tribe, every tongue, every nation. There is no place that is beyond God's reach to redeem people for himself and gather them in to a body of believers. That's what God is doing. That is the steadfast love of God at work. Amen? But before we close today, because that's really the big highlights of it, I want to point you to an appropriate response that I believe we're going to find in the text here, an appropriate response to God's steadfast love. What has he directed you to do with that? You remember the beginning of verse 2 says, Let the redeemed of the Lord do what? Say so. Right? That's what it says right there at the very beginning. But you might ask, Mike, what does that look like? 
how are we to say so? Well, that's another great question. Let me just say, you all have been asking wonderful questions today. Thank you. (laughs) I'm so glad you asked this last one. Let me give you four ways from our vignettes of how we as the redeemed of the Lord are to say so. So, first, first of the four things that we're supposed to do is to thank the Lord for his steadfast love. I am to thank God. It says it in verse 8, by the way. It says, let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love and his wondrous works to the children of man. So I'm to thank the Lord for his steadfast love. I'm to thank him for rescuing me, for delivering me, for redeeming me, for gathering me into the safety of his people. I'm to thank him for that. Now, let me tell you what, what I think that means. It means you and I have a testimony of salvation. Every one of us does. God redeemed you from something. He took you out of one thing and brought you into new life and united you with his people. I have a testimony of my redemption. And because of that, I'm able to thank God every day for my salvation, the things that he has brought me out of. And I do. I thank God every day because I look at people around me in the world and I think that could so easily be me. And not in a negative way. I just know who I am. I know where I would have gone. The things I would have done. But God. God reached in and changed my life. He saved me. He redeemed me. He delivered me. And so I thank God for those things. But I also thank God for his wondrous works to the children of man. What the heck does that mean? It means God's common grace is extended to men and women all over the world. The rain Shine, the rain falls and the sun shines on the just and the unjust. Governments are established for the good of the people. Paul talks about that, right? Like they're there for our peace, for us to be um, able to flourish in the world around us, to bring stability to the world around us. I thank God for those things. I thank God for the simple things like I had enough to eat today. I woke up. I woke up. There was a new day. Those are the things that are common to man. I have water that I can drink right out of the pipe. Do you know how amazing that is? No, seriously, do you know how amazing that is? (laughs) That is phenomenal. So I thank God for that kind of stuff all the time. But let's move on, right? So these are just a few things that are given to us to thank God for, for his steadfast love. The second thing we are charged to do is found in verse 22. We are to sing of his wonderful deeds. We are really blessed. We have a great worship leader here who leads us in songs of praise to God all the time. But I also like to get up in the morning. God puts a song in my head. Like I get up in the morning and songs are just rattling in my head. And in a really good day, they're all, you know, Christian songs, not some of the trash I used to listen to. But, but they're songs that are praising God. This morning it was talking about God's justice rolling down. It's a rent collective song. By God's grace, that was what was rolling around in my head. It set my heart right from the beginning. 
and it sets my, it, it rolls around in my head all day. Or you're singing songs of thanksgiving and praise to God. Or you're allowing your heart to be filled with song and then letting it go forth to God. You don't need all these people around you to do that. I sing in the shower, the bathroom. I sing walking down the street. People stare at me all the time. It's okay. I don't mind. All right. Now, the next thing you're called to do, third, we're called to, uh, when we gather as his people, to be ready to give a testimony of what God has done in our life. Verse 32 says, let them extol him in the congregation of the people. Praise him in the assembly of the elders. I mentioned it several times today. I'll say it again. You have a testimony of your salvation. When was the last time you shared it? When was the last time you shared it with somebody? I'm serious about that. God transformed your life. You are no longer condemned. You are no longer going to hell. God, God brought you into his family and is giving you eternal life. You've got a story to tell. And a lot of you have not shared your, your story with me, and I would love to hear it. But I digress. A testimony doesn't have just to be your salvation story because God is doing things in your life every day. So, for instance, if you come to my house on a Wednesday night for a community group, you're going to have this thing dumped on you that says, where have you seen God's grace? Where have you seen God at work? How has God been speaking to you this week? What is that? That's a testimony of God's goodness, his faithfulness, his steadfast love. That's what I want to hear. How has God done that? Why? Why do I do that? Because it forces you to think about it. Where have I seen God at work this week? Don't be like that person who's too busy. I can't see it. I can't hear it. Where's God? I don't know. It causes us to think, where have we seen God at work in our lives this week? And what else does it do? It causes us then to praise God. Yes, my wife's giving me the time, and I'm going to finish up right here. And, and what else does it do? Oh my gosh, it does something else. It encourages one another. Our testimony gives encouragement to one another. I need to be encouraged by you. Because this is hard stuff. It's hard stuff. All right, last thing. When you hear that testimony, what should we do? We should praise God together. Right? That's what we should be doing. So let me conclude with a final passage, verse 43. Whoever is wise, let him consider the steadfast love of the Lord. And while I think this is for all of us, I want to direct it to any of you who maybe don't know Jesus, God's only son, in a very personal way. And let me commend to you, if you don't know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, to today consider. Consider the steadfast love of the Lord. Because in love, God sent his son Jesus to redeem you, to rescue you, and deliver you out of all of your distress and your trouble so that he could make you his own, so that he could call you his son or daughter, fill you with his love, gather you into a group of people who love you and love God and are following Jesus. 
So if that's you, and you're curious at all, and would like someone to be a part of that journey with you, of exploring the steadfast love of God. You can talk to Stephen, you can talk to me, talk to the person sitting next to you. We would love to take that journey with you. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for the truths of Psalm 107 and the words you gave us today. Please continue to bless it, cause it to your word to just accomplish all that you intend. Help us this week to remember and thank you for your steadfast love. That cause us to, to thank you for your power to redeem and to gather in your people. Lord, we pray this in the name of your son, Jesus, whose sacrifice makes all of this possible. Amen. Amen.